welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Byron, you awake, bro? <laughs> Not really. This is our special first ever late night edition of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. That's right. Just so it's, everybody uh... knows, it's 7 p.m. Byron just finished watching Jeopardy. You're not and, supposed to talk uh, right now. I'm You're sorry, the guest. Byron. You're supposed to wait a while, but we have I just, to introduce you. I just want to say the obvious. It's 7 p.m. and you're old. Okay? Okay. First of all, I am old. I totally Look. admit that one. But Byron. secondly, it's almost midnight. My time. Okay. You guys are slightly earlier, but that's only because you're a state over. But right. Time zones. I, and I get it. It's Byron. not that different. You have a dog that's, like, super oh, demanding. Stop. And so life is hard for you. I know. I know. <laughs> Well, so so to our listeners, that's yeah. our guest, Eric. We're going to introduce him in a second. Before we do that. When he's supposed to our... talk and stuff. But not, not yet, but later when he's supposed to be on the podcast. Oh, we, we have our special introductory segment, though, where we have to apologize once again for yeah. something we have done. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Sorry. inviting Eric on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Also, I miss you. I miss you guys. I miss you a lot. Honestly, I <clears throat> honestly my first few memories of you guys are you know oh, no just... shirt, no shirt. <laughs> Your chests are just <laughs> just pushed against so tightly a glass window, and that's how you oh, would greet goodness. me most days in Tom Phillips' class. That's what I remember. Is like <laughs> honestly, your guys's bare naked chest. That's the last huh. picture I have of you both. Sounds accurate. Yeah. That, yeah, that sounds fair. I was wondering if this was podcast appropriate when you started. I was a little worried. It's the NASBO, <laughs> it's the NASBO way. It is the NASBO way. Yeah. If you go to Loma, you understand what uh-huh. that's about. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. uh, no, so that actually wasn't what we were apologizing for. Last, last episode, I made a stupid joke about Sister Act. So to continue the theme of making... <laughs> stupid jokes about serious things we apologize and we also welcome byron back to the show um byron how was that how was the 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 time with the family Uh, it was a little crazy but it was good we had a good service for my grandfather so i'm glad i'm back but it was a kind of a whirlwind but got to see my grandma and some other family aunts and uncles and some cousins so it was good Awesome, dude. Well, we're going to do a sponsor plug real quick and get right into this dude named Eric, who you can tell we, uh, we have some. Hmm. Our sponsor of the episode today is Audible. I'm not going to do the whole normal spiel because really this sponsorship thing. Byron really needs to come through and get avocados from Mexico to sponsor <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> but our actual sponsor of this episode is Audible. You can do an Audible trial, audibletrial.com slash the millennial pastor. Just go and it's in the description. But for real, I, I really love Audible. I, I don't actually feel that bad about using them as a sponsor because that's one of the few ways I can actually read books. Yes. When I have little gremlins running around, I can put headphones in and listen to a book. Can I get an amen, Eric? Amen. You, you feel me? Amen. I love it. So check it out. You can get a free 30-day trial and an audio book. Go click our link. It's awesome. Sponsorship over. Okay, Eric. <laughs> that was awesome. What a, what a plug. Sponsorship over. Yeah, All right, that was super compelling. On. Super compelling. 
if you if you've heard, <laughs> we we have some conflicting feelings about being sponsored and being sellouts. Got it. But Got that's it. okay. That's that comes with the territory of being millennials. Totally. Apparently. Totally. So so give us a give us a quick little intro to you. Give us yeah. uh, if you want your full name, but also your age because this is the Millennial Pastor Podcast. All right. And then tell us where you're at. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, honestly, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you guys. My name is. Eric Holmstrom. I am a student ministries pastor uh, and a teaching pastor at uh, the church that I'm a part of. It's an awesome church. Um, we used to be called Pomona First Baptist Church. Uh, I know we got some NASBOs, but apparently I mean, our, our denominations, you know, we couldn't dance together for a while and all that stuff. So there's, <laughs> we have a lot in common. Um, but, all the, uh, but, the no-nos we can share. All the no-nos, exactly. But we <laughs> used to go by that name, and then we actually just changed our name a few years ago to Purpose Church. And so um, I'm, again, the student ministries pastor and one of the teaching pastors there. And I've uh, been there for about five years now. It's, a, uh, it's, it's classified as a mid-urban church. Um, it's a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, larger church. And I'm telling you, it has been such a cool experience um, being there. And um, I am married to Sarah. I've been married for uh, 10 years to um, an amazing club. I know. To an amazing, brilliant, awesome, incredible, funny, challenging woman who challenges me to be a better man and to um, follow Christ closer. I love her. We have four children together. So you can begin praying for us now. Uh, they are, they are, ages, Dude, there's a trend with that. I know, I know they are ages six, five, two, and a newborn. So those are our four kids and we're doing ministry. We're specifically doing ministry with high school students. And, uh, it's, it's been an awesome, awesome experience. And I'm excited to talk with you guys about that. Engaging with the next generation. So I, I now I told you I was going to give you some grief and this is where yes. we'll probably apologize for this in the next episode. I appreciate that already. But, Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering, um, was that yeah. name change predestined at your church? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, let's just, you know, I'm, again, I'm not sure how many people have become entirely sanctified because of that name change, <laughs> but we're still looking into that. And so I want the NASBOs to know we are hard at work, uh, working on those entirely sanctification numbers. So don't worry, those are coming your way. You better report them. Okay, so I I need to share a story about Eric. Mm. There's two things that I remember fervent, like my my clearest memories of Eric. (laughs) We all went to school together. We went to Point Loma Nazarene University, Mm. (laughs) where we were very Nazarene. Me and Byron and and Eric, we took a preaching class together. Mm. We also took a Wesleyan holiness class together. Yikes. So we had lots of fun conversations <laughs> yeah. about free will yeah. versus predestination. Yeah. But I have a very distinct memory. I don't know if you guys remember this. Remember mm. how we all had to take turns preaching a sermon in the, yes. in the preaching class? Yes. Yes. Do you remember how oh, much no. I obviously did not prepare for my sermon? I do clearly, yes. Oh, you were a bad student. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, I don't know. Please tell, <laughs> remind me of this story, though. Okay, so well, here's the deal. Because the reason I remember the, the 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 reason that you're a part of this, Eric, is yeah. I'm pretty sure you preached like the day or two before my, me. Okay, and you actually prepared. Like it was obvious. <laughs> like, hey, Eric actually worked at this, and he like he did his homework, and that was good. That was he, like, like a tried good... and stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. 
I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and then I realized I look at the sketch because the status quo in school was Byron would remind me when we would have a test. Yeah. Like I would literally always forget. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, Josiah, you got to read that book and do the thing for Friday. I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's Thursday. <laughs> like that was pretty common. I kind of remember this. Yes. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> that happened with the sermon. Mm-hmm. And basically my sermon, I tried to pull it out. <laughs> that God can use our weaknesses, even if they're procrastination. For wow. His, for his wow. And so basically my sermon, was, my sermon was literally on the fact that I procrastinated. So hopefully God worked a miracle. That's awesome. Like that. That's awesome. It was ridiculous. That's amazing. It, it was not a good sermon. <laughs> wow. But it was funny. <laughs> but it was good. It was entertaining. I mean, to be fair, most of the sermons in that class were terrible mm. because it was a lot of our first time actually writing a sermon. Absolutely. So we didn't know what we were doing. That's right. But I mean, so it's not like, his being bad was like an outlier. It really wasn't. No, but mine was terrible. I specifically remembered Eric was Eric's was the least terrible. If anything, was almost good. I actually think <laughs> like Eric's that... was really good. If I recall, I just remember being walking you away from that class. I don't remember, dude, I don't know what it was about. I can't tell you anything about that sermon. That's cool. But I, I appreciate walked away from that. class and I was just like, oh dang, like that was really good. Like oh. that was he tried. <laughs> you and I think one other person. I was just like, oh dang, I need to do better. Mine's not very good. <laughs> I just remember, I like, most yeah, of my but... sermon, Byron was laughing. Yeah. And so were other people. Like, <laughs> I, oh, I'm pretty so sure. Terrible. I'm pretty sure I just plagiarized a recent Joel Osteen sermon. So I think that's what you oh, guys were really about. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'll pray for oh. your sanctification. Amen. 50 cent of Christianity. Well, and I don't know if you remember this, guys, but when it, we were in that holiness class together, and we could write a paper on anything, I wrote my paper on John Calvin. And that's I right. remember... I remember not getting a good grade on that paper, and I don't know if it was because <laughs> I was a crappy writer or because the topic was not a popular one. Because you're a heretic? Or... Ooh, ouch. Well, did you talk about John Calvin <laughs> preaching about holiness? Or because... Yeah, I Our don't. Professor was very specific. It had to be very much about holiness. <laughs> I remember that. I don't even. I'd have to look back. <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. So to be he, fair, well, actually, to be fair, he approved that topic. Though we had to get those papers approved. He, he did. Approved it. He did. So he did. I mean, he did. You know. Yeah. I <laughs> I got it approved. I got it approved to to write, and I was actually stoked about. It. I actually, sort of tried at this. Yeah. And uh, it was what is pop culture's understanding of the word holy? Yeah. Um. And so you know what what is reflected in culture in this yeah. word holy? And so I got permission. Mm. initially and i think he forgot because this is what i got docked on my grade mm. i got permission to go and quote and like uh source or cite the sources of family guy the simpsons <laughs> and south park like i i got permission i got expressed permission that is awesome. to do that, that but is awesome. unfortunately that was forgotten and then my grade went down a letter wow i was not stoked about you are that. such a cool senior pastor man <laughs> do, do you go by senior pastor or lead pastor no Lead pastor. Lead dude. pastor. All right, cool. That's awesome, dude. That's great. <laughs> oh, I'm not oh, going to brag or anything, but I got an A on that paper. Really? Oh, my god. I killed that paper, dude. I did a really good job. But wow. That was like also like a 20-page paper. It was a huge part of our grade. I tried real hard on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys, that was like 10 years ago that we graduated college. That's I know, insane. dude. So long ago. That's Ridiculous. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> We're officially adulting. We're full, full-fledged hashtag adulting right That's now. That's right. That's right. That's some right. Some more than others because some of us have three plus and four kids. Mm. He has four kids. Well, I, I, I'm going to say I have four kids. One of them just still in the womb. Right. Right. Because that one is already 
being quite a handful mm. and definitely still mm, counts. Still counts. <laughs> um, so, so fun, fun little thing. My wife is only 28 weeks, but she's measuring at 31 weeks. Oh, so this one might is be that the, the cranium of the head of the baby? Oh, or? Wow. No, dude, that's the whole thing. Because usually, you know, those Jones babies got them big heads. So. Oh, shots fired! Wow. It's just, I mean, it's, it's a true, fact. Though. Every it's a fact. Every one of my kids has a medical <laughs> has a medical designation in their chart. That's awesome. Benign familial macrocephaly. <laughs> it, and it literally just means they got a big head from their dad. That is and awesome. I should have it in my medical chart, and then I got it from my dad, and then he got it from his mom. That is awesome. Literally, there's just my head is off the charts. Like my hat size is eight and a quarter. Holy cow! Our oldest son, he was born, and his head measured in the 99th percentile. And so he's born. Yeah, that's all yeah, four he's of born my with kids. a little body and his head. I mean, he just looks like a little alien walking around or rolling around. <laughs> all and right. then how? Uh, I guess. But let's be fair, Josiah. So Byron, how, how's the dog, man? I mean, like, what's that? Uh, what's the? <laughs> she's, head, what's she's the head great. Size, okay. What's the head size of your dog? <laughs> I, I would say average. Oh. I don't know. Oh, cool. I, I haven't measured her head size. Byron, what's your dog's name? <laughs> I don't even know. Her name is Katara because I'm a nerd. It's from Avatar, the reference? Last Airbender. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that. Sorry. <sighs> that's okay. I told you I was a nerd. Okay. Not a lot of people know the reference, and that's okay. That's cool. Well, I'm really, me and Eric, with our combined eight children, are very sorry that you're not sleeping yeah. very well with your dog. Yeah, that must be really hard. Must be really hard. Like, okay, so here's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know we're ragging just because on you. I'm, I'm struggling with something doesn't mean that your situation's not worse. I get it. You have four kids. Yeah. I understand <laughs> that I sound like a wuss. I'm cool with that. I love it. Okay, like I understand, but it yep. doesn't mean my struggle's not real. Amen. All day I work with special needs kids. Amen. I need rest because totally. I have to have patience. Totally. You're so, right, buddy. You know, Byron. It's it's because I missed you, Byron. I had to do the podcast without you last week. Mm. I just had to make yeah. up for that. But again, it's... one puppy does not equal four kids, and I understand that. Thank but you. it's also midnight <laughs> my time now because Eric's schedule. Just kidding. It's not. It's not Eric's fault. Uh, it's everybody's fault. Actually, we had a rough week trying well, to figure this thing the out. Three so. people you asked before me couldn't do interviews, so <laughs> this I was the last call, only one available. So thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Okay. Oh. Hey man, just well, to be honest, you're you welcome. were actually only the second person we asked. That's really encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Speaking of encouraging, yep. Eric, uh, if you've heard the if you've heard the podcast yep. before. Um, we, we're not going to try to insult you, but we do want to have some okay. fun beyond what we're already awesome. doing, um, with, with a game called how millennial are you? Are you excited? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I didn't know if you were going to say more. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds great. How millennial am I? Here we go. Do you, do oh, so I got to ask you first, do you actually think you're a stereotypical millennial? Oh my gosh. I, everyone at work tells me I am not. All of all of my younger teammates, they tell they assure me that I am not a millennial. Even though I actually believe I am a millennial, they make it clear I am not a millennial. But we'll see. Well, so part of the shtick, part of the shtick is that you know millennials get a bad rap. Right? I agree. They just complain about everything yep. and they hate the church and yada yada yep. yada. We're we're the least present, yeah. and so we like to have fun confronting stereotypes. I but I think. I think there's a couple things we'll get you. Well, on. no, I love we'll it. See. I would love to prove that I am actually a millennial. So this would be great. Let's do it. All right, all right. So no offense okay. uh, intended. Okay. But Byron's going to lead us off with some questions about how millennial you okay, are. Okay, go ahead. All right. So, all right. So the first question is one of my favorites. So here mm-hmm. we go. Okay. Um, why are you so self-centered? Wow. Uh, 
Oh my okay, so God. what this is really in reference to is apparently millennials take so many selfies and we just care about ourselves and yes. we're narcissistic. Yes. So we've asked this question in several different ways. Okay. One way is how many selfies have you taken, say, in the last week? Okay, I love this question. I have not taken any selfies. You know what I like to take, boys? I like to take ussies. Okay, this is where I knew you involved. I knew this it. is where you involve the community. So I don't think <laughs> I've ever taken one selfie in my life, but I have taken a billion ussies. Okay, fair. But you're avoiding the question: How self-centered are you? Oh, I am super self-centered. Uh, I wake up in the middle of the night to change diapers. And to help kids <laughs> feed and survive, uh, I wake up at 5 a.m. to get breakfast going. Um, so, yeah, I feel really, really selfish all the time. Fair enough. Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. You're, you're a monster. Fair enough. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, next question, following the same okay. theme, why are you so entitled? Oh, man. Um, it's just, it's, I, man, it's part of our generation, I guess. I, uh... I mean, obviously, you were trained as a child that you deserve to get yeah. stuff without working because of all the participation trophies I that you received. I did. So. I did. I want you to know that I do have trophies. No participation trophies, though. I was like a kung fu karate kid ninja. And, man, I had to kick some serious butt to get every single one of those trophies. So you actually have, like, real trophies you earned. I have real like trophies at my parents' house that they have kept. All these years, and yes, I look back at them. They're they're my glory days, honestly. How <laughs> proud of you they, they must are. Be. They're so proud of me. <laughs> okay, the next question is, um, you know, why are you so lazy, or do you ever even work towards anything, or you just sit at home all day? Wow. Um, yes, I have watched <laughs> every Netflix show, every original show possible. That is basically what I do all the time, nonstop. Well, obviously, you do a lot of Netflix and chill. Yes. you got four kids. Whoa. <laughs> is this like an X-rated podcast or going to earn a mature Preferably audience? no. Okay. Okay. Preferably no. Yes. Yes. All right. All right, All Eric. Right. Um, this one might get you, okay. but this is probably proximity and maybe generation. Okay. When did you last eat an avocado? <sighs> Yesterday. Yesterday. Yep. I had okay. a burrito bowl. And loads of avocado on that thing. So it wasn't on toast, but it's still an avocado. Oh, yeah. So, no, I'm not, I don't do paleo or keto or whole third. <laughs> I don't even know what those are. I, I mean, I don't know if any of you, if you guys can relate, I have the diet of like a five year old. So it's Pop Tarts, it's chocolate milk, it's ice cream. Get it. And that's. Yeah, do so you can share with your kids. I exactly. totally share chocolate milk stuff with my exactly. kids on the Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, in the same vein, how many pairs of avocado-themed shoes do you own? Because those are apparently a thing. <laughs> I've literally never heard of that before. Um, I They're have, also one hundred and thirty dollars. I have black, which vans. is ridiculous. I wear black classic black vans. Back, black classic vans. That's what I'm <laughs> rocking. Well, swing and a miss, whoever that shoe brand is that decided to make avocado. Yeah, no kidding. Shoes. For Eric Holmstrom specifically, <laughs> yeah. apparently Huge they did miss. research. Huge miss. <laughs> All right, Eric, is your monthly LaCroix budget more than you put into retirement? Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. That's great. Um, no, I don't even drink LaCroix. I hate LaCroix, actually. Um, <laughs> yes. My wife loves LaCroix, loves LaCroix. 
Um, but no. Same with my but wife. Here's the thing. I'm I'm again such a kid. Carbonated drinks. I actually hate those. I'm, I don't drink any carbonated drinks. It messes with my little tummy. Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> so little tum tum. I don't yeah, really either. I, I often I often ask my wife, but have you tried other drinks? Yes. Like it's literally just any of the other drinks. Sure. Lacroix is so terrible. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, but, it, but this is from a real thing. Millennials love Lacroix, but they actually statistically supposedly spend more on coffee than retirement that's the real figure coffee wow yep that makes sense that makes okay sense. so then based on that question though um do you know what retirement is though <laughs> like are you preparing for that <laughs> i slowly but surely i think the college the idea that i'm gonna have to help pay for my kids to go to college zaps the idea of a retirement fund but uh for real but you get this you guys so we're we're just starting to set up, you know, like a, a little small college fund for our kids. When Charlie, my oldest, goes to school, it will be in the year 2032. Okay, just get your brain around that. Mm. 2032. And the average, like, you know, middle of the road school is going to cost about $84,000 a year. Oh, no. $84,000 a year. Is there, is there like a homeschool university Seriously. Seriously. We need oh to look goodness. into that. Oh, oh, I hope my kids, kids want to be mechanics or something. Yeah. Like, go vocational or something. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's nuts. Isn't that crazy? That's that, does that scare you a little bit, Josiah? Like thinking about... It, ter- it terrifies like, me because th- I'm doing the math. 2032 It's probably when my oldest is tracking yep. to be in college, yep. too. Eighty-four thousand a year—that's just bonkers. So you're kind of you're kind of addressing the next question. Yep. Um, but do you even know how to manage a budget? <laughs> uh, very minimally, but I try. I try <laughs> my best. We have obviously a large budget item for uh, new iPhones and that kind of thing. But other than that, <laughs> we also try once a year to buy new clothes for the kids and do that kind of stuff. But there is a large fund, obviously. For dad's iPhones, and for the selfie sticks that of go with course. it, right? Ussie or the Ussie, sorry, the Ussie sticks. Yes, gotcha. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to throw a, a wrench in this. Just I'm going to change the question. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, all, all that right. hard work. But this all is a new it. question, and it's going to be good. All right. Um, when was the last time you signed up for a kickball rec league? <laughs> Uh, I have no free time for kickball rec leagues, um, but <laughs> but I do love to skateboard. I actually have been like kind of getting back into skateboarding a little bit, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Where did that come from, Byron? Um, well, I know a lot of people who do like <laughs> softball. Like my brother and his wife do softball. Like they're mm. in, like three leagues or something. Wow. But I, I've just heard reports about people like like especially in urban centers. Like in kickball leagues and stuff, I just think it's great. <laughs> I mean, I've never or or dodgeball. That's also an option. I've never done any of those things, but yeah. like, I mean, yeah. yeah, they're they're getting out there meeting people. And apparently, what they do is they wow. go out play kickball or dodgeball, wow. and they go to a bar after they play and they drink. And you're finding I've been in urban centers, huh? That's just what I've read. I mean, okay. I, I'm sure it's other places. I, I doubt there would be one where I live. Yeah, I don't see that being a thing here, but. <laughs> Yeah, in, Pomo- in Pomona, where we're at, there's not a big dodgeball or uh, racquetball or whatever ball you said. We're Until you started. really doing that. Kickball, none of that. You think I should? So I, weirdly I enough. Hey, man, you could do enough, some ministry in that small way, actually. Enclave. There you go. There you go. What was- we have this small enclave in the western Washington where we 
for whatever reason, it's, since it's beautiful here, the state's best rated disc golf course is not more than a mile from my house. Oh, wow. Which is actually pretty wow. epic. I mean, I kind of, I kind of like yeah, it. Disc golf it, is great. Uh, disc golf is a lot of fun, real. man. That is a great game. That is a great game. You and you can actually kind of take your kids yeah. to go do that yeah. with you if there's not too many people out there. They're really yeah. good caddies. They'll just like carry the frisbee. <laughs> so, true, for you. true story. True story. I went to like Big Five once, and I was in a rush. I needed to buy like normal frisbees for like a youth event. I accidentally bought like super high end like disc golf frisbees. Oh, and so, dude, those are hard right, too. They're really hard. So I showed up to the event. Obviously, it was a huge flop because I had the wrong disc. But now I have like <laughs> in in my back in the back seat of my car. So randomly, I have like professional disc golf set ready to go like at all times for for a game. So That's awesome. if you guys are ever next in the time area, you're around, man, I'll take. Let's you. do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do that, man. I'm ready. I love right, disc golf. Last last millennial question. All right, and then we'll move on to to more serious things okay <clears throat> this is going to be the new standard we ask all men because okay. this was recently uh shared with me okay. apparently all millennial men have beards so wow eric i i'm not looking at your face but i would have to assume that you have a beard right? you know what ding 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 you are right i actually have a beard <laughs> right now but honestly gentlemen it is not groomed it is not trimmed it is not <laughs> anything nice it is nasty um, in fact, and here's the thing, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys experience this. My wife just is not a big fan of the beard. Like it, it is hard to get her to even look in my direction when I have a beard. So she's just <laughs> not a big fan, but it's been a crazy week. And so the beard is, uh, in, in full mode right now. So wait, taking care That's of awesome. kids and making breakfast at five o'clock, that doesn't yes. give you time to groom your own beard? You know what? Yeah, surprisingly, huh. I know. Parenting sounds tough for something. <laughs> I, I might reconsider this one day. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry I gave you that impression. I know. It's, no, it's just pure, <laughs> it's pure laziness on my part. Pure laziness. Well, the stereotype is that you would probably be on YouTube looking up how to groom yes. your beard with the various oils you've yes. purchased. but yeah. Or fire. Your Sometimes sounds... they use fire now, which is crazy. That's, fire? That's Holy crazy. cow. <clears throat> so I don't know, Eric, what do you think? How millennial are you? Uh, I think I barely make the cut. I think I barely make the cut. What do you guys think? Well, that's, that's kind of the point. I mean, no one has been everything. I don't mm. think we've had a single guest yet that has been all uh, those you know, the stereotype 100%, yeah. which is the point. Mm. Um, you know, obviously what happens a lot is we reduce an entire people group yeah. to a stereotype and we devalue them as human beings. Sure. And so what we like to say is that we label things, mm. but people have names. Mm. And so it's kind of an important sentiment to remember. Mm. And it's just a fun way to confront some of that nonsense I love it. by obviously sharing ridiculous stereotypes that people actually operate I love it. under the assumptions. I of, love it. So. I love it. So you're only, the only reason you're a millennial is because you're born in 80, whatever you were yep. born. In. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. That's Oh, actually, that's the technical so definition. So when you went over like your name and all that, and you talk about your kids and everything, that was lovely. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't actually go into that much detail. So that was really cool. I, mm. I, I was, that sounded sarcastic. I didn't mean it that way. I, I really, <laughs> that was cool. Thanks, man. Um, uh, you didn't actually tell us your age though. So right. how old are you? I am 32 years old. All right. 32. Just so that put you firmly 80, in the 86? 87, baby. 87 1987 okay yep 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 so the 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 span is something like 82 to 96 okay um according to pew research okay. but you could talk to other 
outlets, and they might skew so it say a little 83, bit. So say whatever, you know, they're all a little different. Though. Yep, yep. Awesome. So you are firmly in the millennial group, though. You're with <laughs> woo-hoo, us. Woo-hoo. Awesome. And again, if, if anyone's new to the podcast, the only reason we make a big deal about this is there is a huge disparaging, disparaging gap within the millennial participation mm. and the population size. So the size of the millennial generation has just hit the scales and it surpassed boomers yeah. and it will for the moment be the largest generation on the planet. But generation Z is actually already closing the mm. gap pretty quickly. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, wow. But for the first time in history, recent history, um, a generation, a majority of a generation disengaged from mm. church. And that's kind of substantial and mm, worth talking about. Absolutely. Which is what we're going to do. Woo! I love that. Now, Eric, I know we give you grief mm. because you grew up Baptist, right? Well, I actually, I actually grew up. So I'm a theological mutt. I grew up Presbyterian, went to a Nazarene school, um, working on my master's at Fuller, and now am at a Baptist slash non-denominational church. So I am, I am theologically confused. Is what I am. Okay, so so then I guess we have to ask: like, is <laughs> yeah. free will a thing, or is it not? Yes, absolutely, both. Yes to both yes and to, both and yes to it all. Absolutely, God's sovereignty or predestination, both and both. Yes, yes to it all. <laughs> I yes to it. taking some firm yes hearts to it all. in this podcast, and I appreciate. I I, mean, it. I, I, th- I think you you can find <laughs> scriptural evidence for both. That's what I, that's what I think is so fun and and frustrating at the same time, right? Is that whenever you try to build a biblical theology on any one of those doctrines, you are always at the same time leaving out verses that either disprove your point or frustrate you or, or that you have to um, try to wiggle around. So I think, um, I think around those things, there's, there's just always going to be a measure of mystery, which is good. So one of the things that I always found uh, poignant was, um, wesley's essentials discussion um Mm. i don't know every time at loma um yeah or if that was talked about at fuller but basically an essentials unity and non-essentials um liberty and in all things charity absolutely so so i think that can apply you know interdenominationally like there's things that we can just be on the same page about that's kind of the crux that of the of the the stuff we'll probably focus on Hmm. for the rest of this podcast but i always like to i just remember me and Byron particularly would go round and round with you about yeah. stupid crap because yeah. what were we like 20 and <laughs> about to become pastors and we yeah. had to like win the theological debate yes. or something silly. Yes. Okay, well, to be fair, we weren't doing it like mean spirited. No. We were just yeah. exactly. <laughs> we were just yeah. messing with each other. Cause that's what we do. Obviously, if you listen to the beginning of Absolutely. this podcast, that was fun. We're familiar with each other and we have, fun. we right. have fun. That's, with each other. that's what made it but, interesting. But, Exactly. And at the very, in the very same way, though, I feel like so much of that interdenominational angst mm. is something that creates collateral damage, particularly for our generation as they yeah. view church and why they have left. So mm. like we do with every guest, yeah. we have to ask them to kind of define, and you're a unique guest because you're technically, technically our first non-Nazarene pastor. Guest. Wow. Wow. So I'm representing <laughs> everybody else. Everyone, Everyone else, else so don't get it wrong. Pretty much. Don't get it wrong. So. <laughs> okay. um, so, so give us, in your own words, how you define church. What is this thing yeah. that, we, mm-hmm. that we're kind of, you know, bound together within? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. What a great question. The church, uh, to me, is a multi-ethnic, um, multi-generational gathering of the people of God, the people who have 
recognize that um, apart from Christ, there is no hope for the world. And apart from um, the, the salvation that he offers that, uh, you know, that, that we're, we're doomed, that things are not looking good for us. And yet the, the church is the group of people who get to bear witness to um, the hope that comes in a God who would die for his enemies, who would die for people that turn their backs on him. Um, and at the, and then three days later, rise from the dead, proving and validating all that um, he claimed to be as a way of saying, hey, we are only just beginning. And so to me, I, I think of the words of Jesus when he talks about um, how the, his followers will do even greater things than he did. And I think about how uh, the body of Christ is just getting started, that God still has so much um, great work for us to do. But it's, it's, it's the gathered people who recognize, man, we're, we're broken, we're sinners, we're um, in need of a, of a gracious, forgiven God. So, and just to, uh, and this isn't this, this I'm going to say this in a non-snarky way because <laughs> I could easily be snarky both. Ways. Yes. Um, none of our guests, including you have ever used the word Nazarene or Baptist or Presbyterian or, mm. you know, Episcopal in that definition. Yeah. Which That's I think is significant. Yeah. And it, I also find it very significant that none of our guests have ever contained this def <laughs> defining this thing within the confines of a building, sure. which very easily could bear the name Presbyterian yeah. or Baptist or Nazarene or Methodist yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, um, you know, I, again, from you guys, right? Like growing up Presbyterian, going to a Nazarene school, man, I learned so much from you guys and your tradition and your upbringing. And, and I continue, man, as I continue to interact with people who love Jesus and love the scriptures and are, are trying to figure out what it means to live faithfully um, and yet come from different traditions and different backgrounds, man, I find those conversations to be so invigorating. And I, I'm just the guy that's always like, man, I know, I know, Everybody has something to teach me. I have something to learn. I have a, um, something that God wants to um, grow in me and, and have me grow in. And so um, I, I find that to be the really interesting part, right? It's actually one of the reasons I talked about a little bit that our, our church changed its name. One of the reasons we changed our name from Pomona First Baptist Church to Purpose Church was because we realized that for uh, the generation before us, um, that was a way of attracting people, you know, being called Pomona First Baptist was a way of drawing people in. But now in the year 2019, um, it's actually become a stumbling block that it's become something that um, has uh, made people more disinterested in finding out more about Jesus in the context of our community. And so choosing the name um, that is a little less denominationally driven um, has actually helped us reach people with the gospel and has removed barriers, um, which is what it talks about in Acts, right? Like, let's make it honestly as uh, let's remove as many barriers as possible to people coming to Christ. And so that's what that's what we're trying to do at, at Purpose. So the natural um, thought that occurs to me is you're, you're you're removing barriers, but you yourself, I don't know if someone someone did that for you or not, mm. um, but. You know, we talk about this in most podcasts, the the stereotype, but it's not a stereotype. It's huh. just kind of a research to fact <laughs> is that people our age are the most disengaged from church currently in yeah. any generation. Yeah. So why are you still part of it? Yeah. Why didn't you leave? Well, that's such a great question. I mean, let, let me first start by saying I completely understand why they're disengaged, man. Like I get it. I understand because um, we have 
uh, minored or we have majored in the minors, right? And we have we have gotten so um, the church unfortunately has gotten so preoccupied with maintaining, you know, its its own polity or its own rules and structures and. Um, and we've lost sight of the vision that Jesus has called us to, to go and make disciples. And so we've gotten so caught up in our institutions that we've forgotten people in the process. And so I completely understand why, um, why our generation specifically has uh, decided to say goodbye to the church. So I get that. And I, I, I assume that everybody who has done that has a really good reason for um, for why they, why they did that. And my hope and my desire is that as they, um, uh, reflect on that, as they're in those seasons, that they still have that, that thing inside of them that says, man, something's missing, you know, that there's, there's, there's something larger that I have been invited into. There's a, a community and a purpose, um, that, that my heart is desiring that has not been met. And um, and that as they join the body of Christ in an authentic way, um, all of a sudden those desires uh, find fulfillment. You know, I mean, I think we talk about this with our student ministries a lot, but um, I think it's true of all people that everyone's basically asking three questions They're saying, who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my purpose? And I think as teenagers are especially beginning to ask, ask that question and find those answers um, that leads us to all kinds of places. And so I think. The church has a really awesome narrative in place, ready to go um, to say your identity is an image bearer. And then as you begin to follow Jesus, your identity is a child of God that you have been adopted into his family, that you belong in this community whose affiliation and allegiance to Christ and to one another is not restricted by politics. It's not restricted by nationality. It's not restricted by um, income or experiences, but it is. Um, it is, you know, completely unified by what Christ has done um, for us and through us. And then what's our purpose to go out into the world, proclaiming this message that God has, um, by his own desire, chosen to forgive a humanity that has rebelled against him and invited them into relationship and um, to be about the reconciliation of the world. And so um, I, I, I think that what we have sold to a lot of millennials has not been an invitation to be in a relationship with uh, their creator, God, who wants to use all of their creativity and all of their brilliance and all of their energy and all of their experiences to, um, to invite more people into the family of God. But instead we've said, millennials sit down, take a seat, chill out for another 20 years, and then you'll get to lead this thing. Then you'll get to really be an influencer here. And, and don't do that. Exactly. And, 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 and then don't do that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I just feel like, man, looking at Paul's words to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example, right? That the scriptures constantly invite young people. Jesus' disciples were most likely teenagers, that it was teenagers who transformed the world, who took the message of the gospel to the farthest places. And, and so I believe God is still in the business of using all generations um, to, to reach the world. So, so is the, the whole, you being a part of it wrapped up in a calling to be a part of that yeah. work or would you, if you weren't a pastor, would you still go to church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
Yeah, for me, I have, I feel like it's, you know, what was it Peter's words where he just said, Jesus, like, where else would we go? Like, what else would we do? I mean, I've, my life has <laughs> been nothing so, else. Exactly. My, my, my life has been so profoundly changed by the gospel and by the community of God. I mean, I, uh, you know, going into high school was a mess, man. I mean, I was drinking and smoking and full of anger and rage. And, uh, you know, my, like my actions and behavior was dismantling my family. And then, man, I met this group of people who followed Jesus and they loved me, man. This group of people cared for me and wanted to get to know me. And, um, I, my life was just profoundly changed through this community that just seemed to be about something so much more profound and inviting and, um, exciting than anything I'd ever been a part of before. And so to me, being a part of what God is doing in the world, I mean, not, not just as a pastor, but as I go to church and as I experience the body of Christ and as, um, as I, I get these opportunities to share with people in our city and in our community about who God is and what God is doing, I, there's just nothing, nothing better. And so I, I love it, man. I, I, I love being a part of the church and I love getting to serve the church. And in that, I mean, me and Byron have shared some of this, right? Uh, uh, we've shared that we've served in the church. Byron isn't currently serving. I, what is the designation, Byron? The maybe someday um, in the church, but you're already doing ministry outside of the church. What, how did we designate that? I can't even remember what we, I don't know. I'm doing, I work with other people and I'm not, not through the church, but I still try to do a good job and take care of people. And mm. Well, and, it, and it's a ministry, it's a ministry in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but so much of, I guess my personal things or my personal beefs, um, kind of fuel, mm my calling in a sense. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a story and I, Byron should probably tell it mm. because it's his actual grandmother, mm. but like the greatest Nasbo no, no story, which kind of for me perfectly encapsulates <laughs> how we've kind of missed the mark and made it all about behavior modification yeah. instead of mm. what you're talking about in inviting people to be in part of a uh, part of the family of God yeah. in a transformative way. Yeah. Misses the mark. But Byron, have we ever told that story? Like you probably should. Sh that's such a great story. Mm. You mean the movie one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have on the podcast. Let's hear it. So my grandmother, when she was younger, um, my guess is middle of high school-ish, mm. uh, she went to a movie. Now, she wasn't Nazarene at the time, but it didn't really matter because, like we've talked about, a lot of the denominations had the, the no-nos in common. Right. Um, and she was there, and she ran into someone from her church, another, another kid. And he was kind of nervous. He's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Someone caught me. And he's like, well, if you don't tell, I won't tell. <laughs> and her thought was, well, yeah, I'm here, too. Mm. So we're both going to get in trouble. So I'm not going to tell on mm. you. But, like, just being at the movies, mm. which is a cultural experience, yeah. especially then. Like, back in the day, the movies were, were very different than they are now. Mm. They were, you got news. You got different things from the movies and stuff. They were very different. Mm. But, like you have teenagers being afraid to be seen in public together. Hmm. Like that's crazy. Wow. That's what wasn't it. The, the supposed son? community of Christ. <laughs> mm. I, I think it might've been, I'm, I don't want to, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it might've been the pastor's son though, hmm. which made it even better. That's awesome. He was breaking the rules and you know, you know, you guys both talk about how you have four kids. Well, the pastor's kids tend to be the worst kids. Yeah, you know, I've trouble. heard that. So, I've heard that. I've heard that. Something to think about when they get a little older uh, is what I'm saying. I've heard uh, that. I've heard that. 
Well, but that's the ironic. That's the <laughs> so here's the deal, I, Eric. I don't know if you um uh, if you didn't read my book, it doesn't hurt my feelings. A lot of people didn't because it's not on the New York Times bestseller. <laughs> um, but one of the Yet. things, <laughs> one of the things that I have a personal beef with mm. in my time in youth ministry, mm. and you're in it right now, so I'm really curious about your urban youth ministry um, experience in Pomona. Yeah. Um, because mine wasn't necessarily. Uh, urban mm. and you can help us define what that is mm. but i don't think it made a difference mm. um, me and byron grew up in a compartmentalized ministry model mm. and what 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 that would mean is that you know we were we were sectioned off from the rest of the church yeah. most of the time yeah like most of the time we were engaged with the church was through a youth pastor so yeah. when we got to the age where we could choose mm. if we wanted to go to big church or not mm. um we had a huge disconnect yeah. and we we didn't want to, because exactly what you're saying, just chill out and wait 20 years yeah. and then you fit the mold and then you're good. Right. Um, and so, so much of the effort and time spent on youth ministry was behavior modification yeah. and yeah. don't do that. You're not, that's naughty. No, no, no. Yeah. And so much of what we experienced was, mm. you know, it left a bad taste in our mouth yeah. and it's not something that really inspired this, oh, let's be a part of this awesome family of God. I mean, yeah. to, to be fair, there were absolutely <laughs> examples of saints yeah, yeah. that went to our church that were very redeeming for, sure. for this whole family of God idea. Mm. But what does it look like for you yeah. being the guy that it sounds like you, you were welcomed into this story, not because someone told you you were being naughty, but yeah. because someone decided to love you despite what you yeah. were doing. Absolutely. Like, how does that shape your ministry now? And what does your ministry look like? Like, what is the what yeah. is the, the meat and potatoes of your ministry? Yeah. Well, I think I grew up in a really awesome youth group where um, we uh, were really the body of Christ and we loved each other well. And, um, you know, but it, it, it was it was a model where we, you know, spent a lot of time in student ministries together. And, you know, there were there were times where we connected with the larger church. Um, but honestly, the, the church services were were not mindful of students right like there 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 wasn't that that intentionality and and i think honestly i could have benefited a lot from being more engaged um but i but i i question whether um how how important it was to craft a service and an experience that would connect with students until they actually launched this really cool service um that was for all generations but it definitely had a uh bias towards youth and had a um, a younger focus to it. And I thought that was really compelling and interesting. And so the, that experience, and then just recognizing that, you know, as the research shows over and over and over again, I mean, you know, 60% or 70% of students who are like really active in youth groups. I mean, they're the student leaders, they're on the worship team. doesn't matter that they sing off key, like they're on the worship team and they go to every camp and they go to every experience. They do all this stuff. Um, that there's these just astounding statistics of those kids who, once they graduate high school, they just get to a place where they go, I don't think this whole church thing is for me. And here's why. Because we have set up a model that is basically an arranged marriage model, right? Where like we keep students with other students for as long as we can. And then all of a sudden they graduate and we go, graduate, meet the church, church, meet the graduate, love each other forever. It's going to be great. Boom, go. Right. (laughs) And what happens? Welcome to big church. Exactly. And what happens? Those students are like, no, thank you. Like we live in a dating culture. We don't live in an arranged marriage culture. So 
the question the, I've never that's brilliant. So, I've never heard that the, terminology. The, that's used. a great analogy. So the question I yeah. the question we're wrestling with is how honestly do we help our students begin to date the church? How do we help students begin to build authentic relationships with the church? So this is actually something that I've been very passionate about since coming to um, Purpose Church. And I remember my first week on the job is five years ago. Uh, I met with my supervisor and I said, look, I know this sounds crazy. And you guys, we've had a high school Sunday morning program for 50 or 60 years. But I want you to know I have intentions of canceling that. And I have intentions of ending that high school Sunday morning program um, for high school students because it's just further keeping students apart and separated from the church. And so we spent, but I, I spent four years intentionally building relationships, building trust, um, and, and getting to the place where we ultimately made the decision to, uh, re-strategize what the Sunday morning experience would be for students. So we offer a midweek, I'll talk about that later. We offer a midweek Wednesday night. That's very small group based for students. And so that's where students just have their time with fellow high schoolers and their adult leaders to interact with each other and, to have content that is specifically sort of curated for them and, and uh, that's important for them. And there's camps and all that stuff. But we said, look, okay, what happens on Sunday morning is the multi-ethnic, multi-generational body of Christ gathers. Why in the world would we not want students to be a part of that? And how in the world do we expect them to want to be a part of that once they're graduated from high school if they don't spend these years falling in love with the church? And so um, what we did is a few years ago, we canceled our high school Sunday morning program, and we uh, instead very intentionally created a process for students to begin serving on Sundays, right? So to, um, you know, something we say at our church is our hope and our desires that every person has a small, a big, and they have a small group they're a part of, a big worshiping service that they're connected to and a serve uh, community that they're uh, giving their lives to. And so um, for our students, their small is on Wednesday nights. Well, Sunday mornings creates this really great opportunity for them to be a part of the big and for them to serve. And so um, what's been incredible is before we did this, we maybe had 10 high school students who were serving regularly on Sunday mornings. And now we have about 75 high school students who are serving every single Sunday in the church. And, and what's serving? What, what, what do you mean by serving? Like, yeah, what are they doing? Yeah. So yes, a great question. So we have about maybe eight to 10 ministries that happen every single Sunday and students commit to one of these ministries and to be there every single weekend. And so um, it could be, and, and there's a range of them. So we, we want to make this as accessible as possible for all different kinds of students. So we have students who are just beginning their relationship with Jesus, and we want to have opportunities for them to serve. We have students who are deeper in their faith and, and are ready to teach others about Christ and, and want to give them opportunities. So all the way from, you'll see students uh, greeting at the door, um, doing the offering play. You'll have students running cameras and media and lights. Um, we've got a ton of students that are a part of our kids ministry and our fifth, six and junior high ministry. We have some students that work the cafe. And then just recently we had a student who has been promoted, uh, to be one of the lead, uh, representatives in the connect center. So we have a connect center where every single Sunday, new families, new people that come to our church who want to find out more, uh, go to this connect center. And there's actually a high school student who is one of the first people that they will interact with and actually get 
answers from and uh, experiences from. And so what's been what's been so incredible for me is to watch my fellow staff members and fellow pastors so embrace our students. And that I mean, really, I feel like this couldn't work in a lot of environments. But one of the reasons it works is because our whole staff has said, yes, we want to be a church that values young people and that gives young people a seat at the table that says, Hey, you are a part of this. You belong here. You can serve here. And so we've had our pastors and our, our staff um, allow these students to, to serve and to make a difference. And what's been so incredible is to watch how students who in the old model would just show up on a Sunday morning for a high school Sunday morning experience man, like they were disengaged, they were bored out of their mind, and they just, they weren't getting it. And now all of a sudden, they are some of the, some of the key and most inspiring and passionate kids ministry leaders that we have at our church. Uh, and what's crazy, what's crazy with that shift yeah. for, for, I guess, the experiences I've seen at churches I've served at is the teens are going to be real easy to take that on. Like yeah. that, that's not going to be the burden for the teens like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I'll do that. Yeah. I feel like the teens are a little more flexible. I think it's the established church that has to kind of get Absolutely. used to this idea that we're okay with. And it's not, you know, there's plenty of seasoned saints out there that absolutely love on yeah. young people and teens absolutely. And stuff. absolutely. But for so long, the model has been that teens go over there. Yep. Absolutely. We don't want to hear or see you too much. Absolutely. You're loud and noisy. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think we, we all we all can fall into the trap of, of marrying our models, right? Marrying our ministry models that we feel like this is how it has to be done. And so I got, uh, you know, I got a number of emails or calls and people basically saying it is impossible for students to spiritually grow without a Sunday and a Wednesday program, right? And that's just because that's the way it had been. But I'm telling you, like, I'll tell you guys a story. This was one of my favorite results that have come from this change that we've made. Um, after we had made the change, our students went away to summer camp or winter camp. I can't remember which camp it was, but we were gone for a weekend. We were gone for a weekend. And we went, I went back to staff meeting that next Tuesday. And when we were kind of sharing about the weekend, one of our staff members, one of the pastors uh, raised, raised her hand and said, Eric, we got to let you know, like as a church, we felt our teenagers absent. Like we, we felt that our teenagers were not at church. And I just thought, how many churches could say that? How many churches could honestly say that they would notice if their teenagers were there or not? And as long as we keep teenagers in an isolated room by themselves, distant and far from the church, the larger church will have no idea what's going on with them. But because we're integrating students into the body of Christ, into the larger church. They're beginning to feel it and notice their absence. Um, but here's what's been really cool, just to give props to the older generation. Um, we do something, and again, I feel like our, our student ministries um, is just a little bit unique, and, and, and sometimes I compare myself to other youth groups. And, you know, we, we started this new ministry a few years ago um, called Spiritual Grandparenting, where we asked uh, some, you know, some wiser parts, uh, wiser members of our church to step in and adopt a small group and be their spiritual grandparents. And I remember we did this big night where we brought all the spiritual grandparents out and, and they, they were hanging out with their small groups. And I remember, uh, another youth group in town was doing a, uh, like a dodgeball night. And I was like, man, did I miss it? Like, am I just an idiot? Like, why aren't we doing the dodgeball night? And yet, 
this was one of the most powerful nights I've ever experienced to watch the older generation love on these students, care for these students. And what is, what has happened now is we have this, this small group of people that are, that are in our older generation who are so in love with our students who, who know their struggles. In fact, when they come out on these nights and we have many now, many spiritual grandparents who are in their sixties, seventies, eighties that come regularly on Wednesday nights just to hang out with students. What I hear them say all the time is, we had no idea how hard it was to be a teenager right now. We had no idea <laughs> what our students are actually going through. And we're so grateful that we get to be in their lives. And so I'm seeing literally these glimpses of heaven where the generations are coming together and the younger generations are learning from the older generation and the older generation is learning from the younger generation. And it's just been a really really incredible, awesome experience to, to watch that happen. Well, and I, I believe strongly that we are better together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's important for us to, I mean, our last guest on the podcast, Alicia said this, that if there's an underrepresented group in your church, you should be mindful of that. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's a balance to be struck there though. You don't, you don't need to, uh, um, we shouldn't be airing on one side of the age spectrum over the other. Yeah. We're really better when we're together. There's this beautiful mystery. You know, the Bible, the, the Bible speaks to the stuff about um, young and young men and old men yeah. seeing different things and working together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I see this marriage of the experience and wisdom of the seasoned saints um, coupled with the youthful exuberance and passion yeah. of young people mm -hmm. making the church better. But um, so, and this is where I'm going to, put this on you because yeah. you're, you're the guest of the hour, Yeah, but that's not easy. Mm. You said it took you four years, Yeah, right? Yep. And you have, you had to get buy-in yeah, right? from, from your leadership, from the people. So, so let's just say if you had to give a morsel, uh, maybe there's a church out there. Maybe there's a, a youth pastor listening to this. Maybe there's, yeah. maybe there's a seasoned saint out there listening mm. and their experience is that that has been a difficult thing that yeah. I can't make happen yeah. or that's not worth it because teenagers are annoying and I don't understand them. <laughs> like what's a, what's maybe like a final thought. What's a thing that you would leave them. That's kind of the, you know, your passion and ministry. Yeah. You could never, yeah. you could never not do it that way. Yeah. Reasoning. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. Great question. Um, I would say it, it begins with having lots of conversations with the right people who are in charge and in leadership and making sure that, um, the vision is unified, that people see what you see. Um, because I, I just feel so blessed. Our senior pastor who's been at our church for over 25 years, um, when I took this vision to him, he said, let's do it. You know, And he knew it would cost him. I'm telling you guys, him and I sat down and had like a five-hour uh, conversation with about 25 parents who were just livid about this change. And he took it, man. He was willing to go to bat. He was willing to have the hard conversations. And so um, I think first, first step is talk with leadership and make sure that um, they're on the same page. I've had a few buddies who have tried this and it has failed. Um, and all of them have said the same thing, that their senior pastors just weren't on board with it. And so um, it, it definitely won't work without that. We met with parents. We met with students. We talked through it. And then I think having a really intentional plan for plugging students into um, areas of serving. I mean, we, we had to sit down with pastors and ministry leaders um, who run things on Sundays and say, are you open to students? In fact, 
are you willing to embrace them as full-fledged members of your team? And so those, again, I just feel blessed in our context. They were very supportive of that and excited about that. But then also I think you have to have an, you have to honestly look at your services that you're doing on the weekends and saying, is this something where students that we are, we are mindful of students, right? And I'm not saying you just create Sunday mornings into a, you know, a bona fide youth group experience. I'm saying when you're planning your messages, when you're thinking about your music, when you're, you're evaluating atmosphere, are you thinking about students and how students might engage with this? I know our senior pastor has done a really great job of even mentioning, he, he preached a sermon and used uh, an illustration from Stranger Things that just totally connected with our <laughs> students, and, and, which is awesome, right? And, and, and we've, we've, uh, we've tried to intentionally change some of the language to how does this apply to your roommate or how does this apply to uh, the yeah. student that sits next to you? And so I think, you know, w- what's natural for most of us, and especially maybe for the older generation, is to preach to you know, your own age range, but thinking about, and for us as millennials, thinking about Gen Z, how do we communicate in a way that a Gen Z audience says, you know what, they were thinking about me. And again, the Gen Z audience or the millennial audience, like, I don't think millennials are looking for a millennial only church. I actually think they want to be in relationships with people that are diverse and that people um, who think differently and who come from different generations. But I do think we need to ask ourselves, are we mindful of them? And are we willing to make changes that might make a millennial feel a little bit more at home here and might feel a little bit more invited and welcome here? Okay, last question, Eric. And this yeah. one, this one's kind <laughs> of the, it could be dicey, I guess. I don't know. Let's do it. Let's we'll do see. it. We'll see what you think. Do you think churches are failing at discipleship if they're not doing intergenerational work like this? Oh, man, that's a great question. I, I think absolutely. I, I look at our church. We are 150 years old. We actually, we, we were in existence before the city of Pomona ever came into existence. And so our church would, would cease to exist if it didn't have a vision for multi-generational ministry, right? And so yeah. I think our church has had to, and our churches have to continue to um, create a unified vision that says, look, the church is for all people, all generations, and that includes the younger generation. So we need to really be asking ourselves, recognizing that the younger generation um, is not the church of the future. The younger generation is the church of today. And so we have to care about the fact that they care about things. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Like Sometimes I think we get hung up with, I can't care about that. It's like, you don't have to care about the same thing a young person cares about. You have to just care that they care about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, part of the ministry that God has called me to is urban ministry. And, um, you know, when I was in Point Loma, we were doing ministry to some kids that were um, struggling and and really going through a lot. And um, but there wasn't there actually in our in our community, in our youth group, there wasn't a lot of students who. Um, came from any other kind of environment. And so it felt like it was all pretty much 100% of our students were low socioeconomic um, students that were struggling. And then I went and did ministry at a church in La Quinata, which is arguably one of the wealthiest communities in the world in the top 1%. And again, again, it's just north of Pasadena and uh, just, just lacked, lacked the diversity. And then a buddy of mine had a vision one time. He told me we were working at this camp together and he had this vision. He said, Eric, I see you in the middle of 
which I'm a Presbyterian. We don't even know what visions are. You know what I mean? We don't, we, we, didn't, we didn't grow up, we didn't grow up with that stuff. So he's like, he's like, I have this vision of you sitting in the middle of this basketball court with all these kids from all different ethnicities and races and um, cultures around you. And, and I was like, man, what is, that doesn't even make sense. I, I've never heard of that before. And, and then the church that I'm at the first day when I roll up to uh, interview, I noticed that right out in front of the youth group is these basketball courts. And I begin to learn more about our community and hear about the diversity within our community and what's been so fun and, and honestly, though, challenging and something I'm trying to figure out on the daily is how do you unify students and people who come from such different backgrounds? We have two group homes who come to our high school ministry, um, some boys who are in placement and some girls who are in a group home. Um, some of them have experienced human trafficking. We have uh, some local gang members who are a part of our group. Um, one, of our, one of our young men who um, just recently surrendered his life to Christ and got baptized, um, his dad is one of the lead gang members in our community. And so he's, <laughs> he's navigating that and what that looks like. Um, we've got a, a young man who, uh, hit, literally has one foot in the gang world and one foot in the church world and just trying to figure out, and man, my wife and I and our family are just pouring into this kid, trying to, um, you know, win him to Christ and trying to, uh, encourage him to, um, to leave behind that gang world, which is so oppressive, but so alluring and so, um, enticing. And, and for a lot of our students, that is like all that they've known. But then at the same time, we've got homeschool kids. We've got kids who come from really wealthy families. And, um, and here's what I've learned along the way is students who come from low socioeconomic backgrounds have the exact same challenges as kids that are in the 1%. It's just the kids that are in the 1% have more resources to hide their stuff, right? They have more resources to hide the junk that they're going. And so Students are going through all kinds of stuff, no matter what, um, you know, city or, or background they come from. But for me, the question I'm constantly asking is, how do you create community amongst these students that are so different than one another? You know, and mm -hmm. and what it requires, it requires us to to have really honest conversations about things that they can all relate to. So tonight, um, tonight for a youth group, you know, we didn't do we didn't pie kids in the face or give out iPads or, you know, pull out the slime machine. Like tonight, tonight we talked about grief, death, and loss. And we had a woman come up and share about um, her husband committing suicide and what that was like for her. And we had probably our probably had a captive audience, huh? We did. There was, we did. They were paying attention. Absolutely, man. I mean, watching. And here, here's the thing about, so, so this woman, um, you know, is in her 50s. And yet you couldn't, I mean, no student was making any noise. I mean, it was just absolutely silent as she was speaking. Why? Because she was being vulnerable because she was yeah. being authentic because she was She's sharing, real. she was sharing her story in a way that these students said, man, I can relate to that. And even though there's, you know, 30 years, 35 years between them, um, the vulnerability and authenticity has a way of breaking down those generational barriers and what was powerful is as the students are texting in questions, um, you know, they're sharing about their struggles with suicide. They're sharing about, um, you know, what it was like to lose one of their friends to a shooting recently or losing a parent or whatever it may be. And so 
in our ministry, we, we have to talk about real stuff. We have to deal with things that, um, that being in an urban setting uh, and being a, a multi-generational setting, multi-ethnic setting, things that, that all of them deal with and wrestle with. And then we put them in small groups all together. And so we put our group homes boys in with some of our homeschool boys and uh, some of our neighborhood <laughs> boys and get them all together. And we have amazing adult leaders who facilitate conversations and who are willing to simply say to students, hey, tell me more about that. Tell me your, your story, your experience is welcome here. And what happens is just unbelievable. There, there was a young man who was a part of the group home um, across the way uh, about a year ago, and he surrendered his life to Christ. We ended up baptizing him, and, and he loved rapping. I mean, he loved, he loved writing his own raps. And so um, I, I asked him, I said, hey, like, have you ever written, like, a, a rap about God? And he said, no, like, uh, no. And so I gave him the book of Ephesians, and I said, I want you to read this, and I want you to write a rap. And oh my gosh, you guys, he picked a Drake song as like his backdrop and he got on stage and rapped. And it was one of the most powerful nights right after that. We shared the gospel and saw like, did you record that? Yeah, dude. Yeah. I got It's in the archives. I got to find it, but it was just such a powerful, powerful night. And so I think giving these students an opportunity to share their stories, giving them opportunities to be highlighted and to call out their giftedness and um and what god is doing in their lives has just been awesome but it's it's hard work oh my god i gosh. think we've gotten to a point in in our church cultures um where we don't like the hard work stuff yeah, yeah. it's easier to be content absolutely and it's easier to to be with like-minded, like-skinned, yes. like-aged yeah. individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's just easier because guess what? Doing that stuff you're talking about, yeah. dude, that's difficult. Absolutely. That's real hard. It Absolutely. costs you something. And I think, I, just, it, I, I think I just I, asked the question, like, what's heaven going to feel like? What, what's heaven going to look like, right? And heaven, heaven is going to be one of the most diverse experiences that any of us could ever possibly imagine. And so I want my hope and my desires to actually take seriously Jesus's words that as it is in heaven, so it be here. If heaven is going to look and reflect um, the diversity of who God the is world. and the diversity of the world, then we got to be willing to step into that. And so conversations about racism, they happen and we try to navigate them. Conversations about sexuality we have to address those and talk through those conversations about neighborhoods and environments that students have grown up in and we had one girl we had one girl recently her uh she um she came to our youth group and she's been with us for a little while and then we took her to camp and i asked her i said hey how are you enjoying being a part of our group and she said that she said i'm surprised because i really love it and I said, tell me more about, they said, tell me more about that. What do you mean you're surprised? And she said, well, um, honestly, my whole life I've hated white people. And I Ooh. said, I said, tell me more about that. She said, well, like when, when you put me in a group leader or when you put me in a group and our leader was white, I, I was very uncomfortable with that. And then all of a sudden I got to know her. And as she shared about Jesus with me, she became one of my closest people. And what's so awesome, and then so, you know, so I, I told her, I said, I said, now here's the thing. What's special about that leader is not that she's white. Like, what's special about that leader is that leader loves Jesus. But how cool that there's a little bit of racial reconciliation going on and a little bit of unity happening as 
races and as ethnicities and backgrounds are coming together and hearing each other's stories and getting to know one another. So I think the church, the church, and this is where, man, we just have got to, I'm absolutely convinced that the majority of Paul's letters, he is trying to combat racism, right? I mean, there, there was, (laughs) there was years and years and years of, of embedded racism between Jews and Gentiles and the way they ate and the way they thought and the way they looked. And, and Paul is saying, man, you guys don't get it in Christ. Something so powerful has happened. The, the, the barrier of hostility, the wall of hostility has been torn down. There is now peace between us. We have more in common now because of Christ than we ever, than we ever had before. And, and I just think that's that's where the church needs to step up its game and say, hey, we need to lean into these conversations about race. We need to lean into these conversations um, about prejudice and and, uh, and and be willing to go there. Because our students, I mean, every time I bring up some of these topics, man, they I get so much feedback and they're going, thank you for talking about what's actually happening in the world. Thank you. Because for... they're talking about it. Exactly. They're engaged with it because they're living. It. Exactly. And if we're so obtuse that we just, oh, no, we don't need to worry about that. Yep. Then we have completely disengaged from the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eric, we're running out of time. Dude. Okay. Bro. We, me and Barn and Barn probably needs to go to sleep. I think he's falling he asleep. Work. I think <laughs> I'm he's here. Asleep I'm right here. Now. No, man, I really no. enjoy what you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually wanted to say, um, uh, hopefully, um, we didn't actually ask you before the podcast. Yeah. I actually want to hear more about this. We ask, we invite all of our um, podcast uh, guests to share more of their story in blog form. Mm. So maybe, maybe we'll get you to do that I love later that. on yeah. in the week. And you can yeah. tell us more about your ministry. But I actually cool. wanted to do one more thing mm. before we wrap up this uh this podcast episode, we yeah. are starting a new thing last week. We called it the share the love sponsor and it's not really a sponsor. It's just us giving a shout out to someone doing good stuff mm. um, just out in the world. Yeah. Um, last week it was from two episodes ago. Okay. Sophie shared a friend who was um, starting this clothing company called just threads. Mm. And basically this just threads company is trying to confront consumeristic tendencies that lead to poor work environments and sweatshops and child labor Mm. and human trafficking and all that stuff. Mm. Uh, But this week, um, the, the share, the love sponsor is pulled from the last week's episode with Mm. Alicia. Mm. So basically this week's share, the love sponsor is Hayward mission. It's the, it's the church that Alicia is the pastor of, and she's doing some of this exact same work you're talking about, some intergenerational Mm. intercultural um, work, but she's Mm. also, um, going to do some future projects that are very intriguing in the in the realm of empowering um, the next generation of female leaders in the wow. church. Oh, I love that. And so it's called Sister House. Mm. Uh, but basically, they're the Share the Love sponsor. We want to give them a shout out. They're doing cool. awesome stuff. You can find the link in the description. Um, but before we wrap up, Eric, once yeah. again, it's been great catching up with you, even mm. even though this is probably the most unconventional way I love college friends. <laughs> I love this it. is probably the most unconventional way friends can reconnect is by recording their but, conversation. But it might possibly be the most millennial way for us to reconnect. It, so. I mean, it's real though. It's real. We are the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Yeah, Thank awesome. you, Eric, for for sharing your story, your life, and awesome. and for letting us kind of. Uh, hear a yeah. little bit about what you're doing in the church we appreciate it well thank you to you too josiah and byron you guys have had a profound impact on my life and uh, i think this is incredible what you guys are doing and 
I honestly feel humbled and honored that you would even let me be on your podcast and, and chat through stuff. So Byron, thank you for staying up so late, man. <laughs> I know, bro. It's way past the <sighs> So thank you. Thank you. Josiah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for oh, staying up, man. I know you and me, man, our kids are going to be up in about an hour. So uh, this, pretty much this has been awesome. though, guys. This has been awesome. <laughs> hey, and just to clarify, well, thank you for being here, but just to clarify, yeah. you were on my list for people I wanted to contact. Really? Um, no, you really were, man. Thanks, I, man. I, we're, so we're Facebook friends. So yeah. We, I see what you're doing. I, I read your posts. I don't post a whole lot, but I do read things. Cool, cool. Um, and so, I yeah, you were one of the names that I originally had. Like, Josiah knows more millennials in ministry than I do because it's kind of his stick yeah. now. Like, yeah. That's kind of he's yeah. becoming the guy you contact. Yes. But <laughs> Well, it's true. Is that not true? It's true. I, in the Nazarene Church, weird. anyway. In the Nazarene yeah. Church. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. But, uh. Man, I, I I appreciate you coming on here and talking to us, and the, I'm I'm Absolutely. encouraged by what you're sharing. Thanks, brother. That sounds amazing, man. I'm excited to hear more stories. And uh, thanks, man. Yeah, please, if you can write that blog for us, people can yeah uh, get to know you better and see what more you're doing. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, you guys. Well, hey, I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, and to our listeners, um, if you want to engage further, read these stories on our website. All of our guests blog. They share some more in-depth stories because an hour and some change isn't quite enough to hear uh, the full picture of what's going on in their lives. You can also, if you feel it warrants it, review and rate this podcast so that more people can hear these awesome stories as well. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. All that stuff is linked in the bottom in the description. But as always... If you want to hear more about what millennials think, or you like hearing about the faith-based work they are doing in culture, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time.